to Straight Outta Cobham, episode four. A new hope? Not the way things have been going domestically for Chelsea these past few weeks. If you're new to the gang, welcome. This is your one-stop shop for all things Chelsea-related, as each week myself, Matt Davis-Adams, and the Athletics' top team of Blues buffs chew over the latest news, reviews and previews from SW6. Alongside me this week, a pair of Chelsea experts. First, his Footballers at 50 series has been one of the highlights on The Athletic this past week that has made me feel extremely old and washed up. Hello again, Dom Flack. <laughs> and me. <laughs> <laughs> and alongside Dom, last week he told us the tale of how he followed Jose Basingwa around a Nissan showroom. Hopefully he spent the last seven days looking for Bernard Lambord at a larder garage. It's the one and only Liam Toomey. Sadly not, although I think... When we're pitching ideas for the next few weeks, that might well feature highly. <laughs> Lambord in a, in a larder, it just rolls off the tongue. Uh, OK, later on we'll get to the bewildering boar fest that was Bournemouth, look ahead to the potentially season-defining game at Spurs on Sunday and reveal our latest cult hero. But seeing as it's relatively breaking news, we ought to reflect on the Champions League first. So then, after finishing second in Group H, Chelsea have been drawn against Bayern Munich in the last 16, a reprise of the 2012 final. Uh, Liam, it was always going to be a difficult draw, whoever it was. Arguably the most difficult, Bayern the only team to win all their group stage games. Yeah, quite possibly. Although Bayern have got form for this, haven't they? They they generally look incredibly strong in the in the group stage. My my sort of abiding memory of Champions League group stage football is like Bayern beating Barté or someone about five nil. That that just in my head that happens every week. Um, whether it's the toughest, I, I don't know. I I, to, I personally wouldn't have favoured Chelsea against any of the potential opponents. We've seen what a rampant Lionel Messi looks like. Um, I would have really liked the Sarri Bowl. From a from a narrative perspective, I think that would have been the best one. But Bayern obviously brings back the memories of 2012. There's already been some pretty decent banter from from Bayern's Twitter account on that front, muting the words Drogba in 2012. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's going to be fun. Chelsea are underdogs, but they've been underdogs in Munich before. Munich are a club in crisis. They're out of they don't have a manager. They're fifth in the league. It'll be a doddle. <laughs> no, well, you're right. It's it's a really tough draw. And this is the other thing, isn't it? The, the temptation with the round of 16 draw, more than any of the other sort of Champions League draws, is to, to draw immediate conclusions yeah, about what's going to happen. And the games aren't happening tomorrow. They're happening in two months' time. Everything could be totally different. Uh, and so you're seeing a lot of fatalism from Chelsea fans on online, which may not be the case at all come February. People are kind of expecting it'll be a slightly different Chelsea squad by that point, but it's not going to be easy to cherry pick players from other Champions League last 16 teams, is it? I mean, you would expect that Bayern will have a different manager by then, so you know they could be a different prospect. But Chelsea aren't going to be that far from from what they are now in terms of personnel and style of play, surely. No, I I, I agree. If they if they do do business in, in January ahead of this tie, I can't imagine that many bodies coming in. Um, and it, look, it's a it's a daunting prospect. This, I mean, you could be potentially facing a a team that's even possibly coached by Maurizio Pochettino. Possibly it's been mentioned, hasn't it? Um, so, but it, but it's let's look at it on the positive. It's a tantalising tie to have on the horizon. And there's there's plenty of time to concentrate on the league between now and then. Um, and these 
the more inexperienced members of of Chelsea's squad will have had a, a Premier League program over over the festive period to to get under their belts as well. So, as Liam says, the scenario may have changed significantly by the time the ties actually happen. It's just it's just a, a great prospect on on the horizon for the for these players to look forward to, and one for them to yeah I don't know it'll be an, an appealing prospect as well because to play Bayern Munich away um, in the Champions League is a yeah, it's a great occasion. That is a that's a fantastic tie. I actually think Chelsea finishing second in the group is is quite a good thing um, for Lampard because th- this will be the first game, the first time mm. which they're clearly undisputably underdogs. You know, it, the group that they ended up with, there was actually a, a fair bit of pressure even for a new Chelsea team to qualify. Mm-hmm. So I think that they'll relish their status as sort of like the young upstarts. And this this Champions League run was always supposed to be an adventure anyway. No one harbours realistic expectations of going far. So if they go out on their shields, I don't think anyone will really bat an eyelid, but Chelsea fans just want to see them give it a good go. Mm, great memories for Frank Lampard, the uh, the site of his greatest achievement as a player. Big game for Callum Hudson-Odoi, of course, as well, long link with yeah. uh, with Bayern Munich. If we look back on the group stage as a whole, obviously they finished second, Don, but it's got to be viewed as a success when, when you look at the fact that they overcame last season's semi-finalists who are going to be in the Europa League next year. Yeah, and, and I think, yeah, it is a success because I think expectations were pretty realistic at the start of this campaign. A lot of these guys were going into their first Champions League campaigns. Um, some, some of their more experienced heads, um, like Antonio Rudiger, and significantly, you know, weren't really involved and until until the last game. Um, I think it's... It's pretty getting out of that group is is the first achievement of the Lampard era. It's a little tick by his name. He's he's he has achieved something quite notable there. Look, there it threw up its own issues as well. Playing at home in the Champions League is difficult, especially when they're asked to, to break down good defensive teams and and. You know, when Ajax played against them at Stamford Bridge and hit them on the counter, they ripped them to shreds when they had a full complement as well. So they would have learnt a lot uh, from the from the the games, particularly against Valencia and Ajax, and that will stand those players in good stead. But as as Liam says, anything they achieve in the Champions League is a bonus this season because they are a learning team. They're a team in transition. And the group stage, Liam, has been a good snapshot of the season in microcosm, really. Really good away from home. Seven points from nine. Really struggled at Stamford Bridge. And that was in evidence again last week against a Lille team who, who basically didn't try a lick for 75 minutes. And then once they scored, had a go. And Chelsea made far harder work of it than should have been, really. Yeah, for me, that was the clarifying point that I don't think we're ever going to see a comfortable Chelsea win this season because if it was ever going to happen, it would have been then. Lille B showed up and for 70 minutes, Chelsea were in total control. And then they, you, you see this happen. They do this quite a lot where they just switch off for about five minutes and the other team seemed to sense it immediately and, and push forward. And, and Lille, having had no encouragement really, suddenly just went forward and, and, and Loic Remy had his little moment <laughs> at Stamford Bridge. Uh, and then suddenly Chelsea looked really, really rattled and, and there was a sort of five to ten minute spell where you thought, wow, could this really all go wrong? But they, they, they managed to do enough. It wasn't the most you know overwhelming end to the campaign, but I think there have been enough high points in this campaign for people to see how this team can grow. Maybe in time for February, but more likely beyond that, looking ahead to hopefully finishing the top four this season and then building on for next season. Ajax away was impressive. I mean, that is a great win. 
Um, and and that that is the type of th- that is what they have to aspire to. To if they can, if they can go to a place, you know, as you say, Champions League semi finalists last year, and and nick a result the way they did, but perform capably as well. I mean, it wasn't as if it was un unmerited. Still, their most mature performance. Yeah, absolutely. Of the season. That's what we're seeing more of now. That's that is the the problem because we actually are seeing a bit of naivety creep into their play. Lille, I mean, I they they were appalling, absolutely appalling, and yet they still caused mild consternation for that last five minutes and and that 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 will concern Frank Lampard. So it is Chelsea who join Valencia in progressing from Group H. The round of 16 gets underway in mid-February with the return legs played three weeks later. Right, that's the good news. Now on to the cherry-popping misery that was Bournemouth at the bridge. So Chelsea's Premier League problems continued this past weekend as Bournemouth won at Stamford Bridge for the third time in the Premier League. Dan Gosling's late goal handing Frankie's fellas their fourth defeat in five league games. This against a team who lost five on the bounce before Saturday. Liam, was this better or worse than West Ham? I think it was worse. Um, I, I thought West Ham. I, I thought against West Ham, Chelsea were at least quite good in the first half. They were okay, and then they got caught cold early in the second. The game changed. Whereas against Bournemouth, it was pretty poor from the outset and then in the second half I think it, it reminded me of some of the home games under Sarri last year and I think it reminded a lot of Stamford Bridge of that as well because it was the most frustrated I've heard Stamford Bridge since Lampard came in you saw a lot of these diagonal aimless switches of play from Rudiger and Zuma um, loads of them flying over the wingers head straight out of play and Bournemouth you know got their game plan totally right I thought they did they had to scramble a little bit defensively in the first half and they did that really well but the second half They just made Chelsea play entirely in front of them, um, funneled them out to the wings where they couldn't really do anything. And I I, I thought I didn't have as many problems with what Lampard did team selection wise or or even substitutions as some people did. Um, But the one thing that surprised me was I really thought Reese James would have started a game like that. When you know Bournemouth are going to sit deep, they've got form for sitting deep, Um, his ability to cross the ball with, with confidence and with quality consistently. I think could have made a real difference from from the start, and it's still fine margins because if Emerson scores that header, the game still could have ended totally differently. But Chelsea didn't deserve a different ending, and Bournemouth were fully deserved at least a draw, and, and you couldn't really complain with the win. I think. Yeah, very disappointing. Rhys James didn't start for those of us who had him as captain of their <laughs> fantasy team with Tammy as vice captain. That uh, is a left field. You know, and I've got loads of points to make up. Liam <laughs> is the problem. Um, Half Chase has tweeted the show asking how the club reacted to recent losses. Are they calm or getting a little twitchy? How have the players reacted to Lampard after the recent results? Does he still have their full backing? Dom, this is just what was always going to happen this season, wasn't it? They're going to go up and down with a young manager and young players. Yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe what we didn't anticipate quite so much was that there'll be periods of going up like the seven wins on the bounce and then periods of of inconsistency where they're struggling I mean that's what that's what we've been delivered maybe we thought there might be the you know a couple of wins followed by a loss rather than these sort of periods of prolonged form one way or the other um, and maybe we should have seen that coming the the issue here is that when stubborn teams have turned up at Stanford Bridge they've, they have struggled to break them down um, Palace they, they, they found a way of getting through but that was another scenario where they that could have happened and then, and then West Ham obviously exploited it well now Bournemouth I watched Bournemouth the 
other week. And Bournemouth are a counter-attacking team. They're not very good when the onus is on them to break teams down. So actually, that scenario was ideal for them uh, at the weekend. And, and they could hit Chelsea on the counter and they could prosper. Um, and as the frustration mounted, you, you thought more and more, oh, this could go, this could go the wrong way here. The worry for, for me with Bournemouth was that Lampard had even spoken about in his pre-match, you know, this has the potential of going like a West Ham, you know, if we don't start moving the ball the right way and, and, and yeah, fluid movement and, and, and causing them problems, we could struggle to get past them. And that's exactly how the game played out. To be honest, it might work in his favour because if, if the board were wavering about spending money in, in January, this little run of form against teams that you have to break down actually plays into Lampard's hand. He's all he's saying about creativity, about attacking flair, about a centre forward who can you can get you ten goals. That's exactly what Chelsea need now, just to supplement the ranks and and give them other options. So actually, he can now go to Marina Granovskaya and say. I need spending in January. The thing that's jumped out at me most in the last couple of weeks is that the intensity has has dipped massively. It's coming in spurts now, whereas it, it was really consistent at the start of the Lampard era. And I think they, in particular, they started halves really well and pushed teams back. Um, and, I, you know, the piece I wrote around the game was, are these players tired? Lampard, for the first time, really, he's always bristled when that subject is raised, especially after what he did in pre-season with all the double sessions and the emphasis on fitness. But... That was the first time he really said, well, yeah, it could be part of the picture because he, like often happens with Chelsea coaches, they get to this stage of the season and they've basically whittled down their squad to 13 or 14 players that they trust to actually play. And when you're playing every three days, that becomes a big, big burden to bear, especially for play, you know, young players who haven't necessarily done this before academy graduates and also players like Christian Pulisic who are used to playing in a league where they get a big winter break as well. I think it's a shock to the system and if Chelsea were going to have a dip it was probably going to be around now. But this is exactly what happened to Antonio Conte in that second season and he spent the summer warning how Chelsea's squad wasn't big enough to cope with Champions League football and maintaining a challenge in the Premier League simultaneously just because of the sheer number of fixtures that would come their way and Exactly the same thing has happened. Um, that they don't have the depth. He has, as you say, trusted a select core group of players, and the others he sort of drifted in and out. And the reality is, you know, once one or two of them lose form and confidence, he's still relying on them, and they can't summon those performances. It's all about fizz. You're absolutely right. With they look jaded, they look mentally jaded as well as physically jaded, and that that is troubling. But you know, thank. Thank the Lord they've actually able to go into the market in January because otherwise you'd you'd be looking at it now and thinking, whoa, where does this season go? Substitutions have been a big problem as well. Uh, in the course of writing that piece, I realised that Michy Batshuayi hasn't had a shot attempt in his last five substitute appearances in the Premier League, which is not what you need from an impact striker. And hudson Adoy's confidence has, has gone out the window as well. So when you look beyond that, the bench that they had against Bournemouth doesn't really offer you a lot. Yeah, there's a lot said about Lampard substitutions, but you need the players to actually do something yeah, when they and, came on. The manager's got no control. Batshuayi is a player that needs service. He's not going to do it on his own. He needs wingers putting the ball in along the ground into the six-yard box, and that's where he'll he'll you know as he did at Ajax, he will he will take the chances eventually that come his way. Um, but he's not somebody that can he can just fling on and think he's going to produce a bit of magic because he needs the service to do that. Uh, lastly, on Bournemouth, and briefly, a conversation I overheard on the gantry at halftime. Somebody discussing whether Frank Lampard is demonstrative enough on the bench. So as Liam's mentioned, these crossfield balls from Zuma and Rudiger, which you could see very quickly weren't working in the game. 
He's always on the edge of his technical area or for the for most of the game, but he's a cajoler. He's uh, somebody who calls somebody over for a quiet word. He, he He's not a ranter and raver. Do this squad need this every so often? Do, do, do all players need that once in a while? I think supporters probably need it more. Um, it's you, As a supporter, you want to see a manager sort of partaking in the game and, and uh, being part of the action. It's um, a theatrical thing. It, yeah, and, and I don't think it has a major effect on players out on the pitch, if I'm honest. Um, he, he can't suddenly change character. Um, now that he's Chelsea's head coach, he can't suddenly become something that he isn't. The interesting thing on the on the, the crossfield boards, and I was talking to, to Liam about this before we went on air, is what Simon Johnson wrote last week about the sort of slight wariness that he appears to have with Antonio Rudiger. I wonder whether that's now being demonstrated. I mean, there is a player that is experienced. He's the most experienced defender bar Aspi on the books, most experienced centre-half. He probably expects a lot more from Rudiger. I know he's coming back from injury. I know he's he's hardly played at all for him yet, and it's it'll take him a while to get back into rhythm. But I got the impression post match with the comments he made to the media that it was almost as if he was slightly disappointed with what Rudiger's offered him so far, and that would play with what Simon wrote the previous week about a, a certain wariness within the hierarchy with Rudiger. Rudiger is a player that has to make an impact now. He has to show Chelsea that they don't need to go out and buy a centre half in January. He's got an opportunity to do that, and to date, he hasn't really shown it. Yeah, he's gone from uh, first choice pick while he was out injured to to battling for his place with with Zuma Christensen and Fakaya Tomori, who, lest we forget, has signed a, a new contract recently. Well, uh, Frank Lampard's got his first free week in a while, so all the focus can be on Sunday's game. It's a biggie, and we'll talk about that next. So this Sunday sees what I think we can safely say is the biggest game of the season so far as Chelsea make the short trip to North London to take on Tottenham, or Jose Mourinho's Tottenham Hotspur as they're now known. Uh, The Blues defeat to Bournemouth, coupled with Spurs' last gasp win at Wolves, means there's just three points between the teams ahead of kick-off. Liam, we've used this phrase before on the show, but this is a must-not-lose game, right? Yeah, it's absolutely huge. I mean, um, the Mourinho-Lampard sort of dynamic writes itself, but Chelsea have gone to Spurs before in these kinds of situations. I mean, they ruined the start of Spurs' Wembley tenure <laughs> uh, when, they, when they were in disarray under Conte. So we know from previous experience that form isn't everything with these sorts of rivalry games. But looking at it, you have to say that Spurs are in a much, much stronger place. I mean, they, they do have a stronger squad anyway. What's happened so far this season has been the surprise, really, rather than what's happening now. Um and they they're they're on an upward trajectory and they're they're full of confidence. So I think there's a lot for Chelsea to be worried about. You know how Mourinho tends to set up in these games as well, which is with a low block, maybe not too dissimilar from what Bournemouth are doing, except they'll have even more counter-attacking intent with the the speed they've got with Son and, and Lucas. And I think it'll be a real challenge to Chelsea. And I think they will need a kind of Ajax level, Ajax away level performance from Kovacic, Jorginho in particular, in terms of keeping the ball and not giving up those transition opportunities because we know Chelsea aren't good at defending those situations, so they just have to stop them happening where they can. If they don't, then yeah, Tottenham will be above them and and suddenly the, the league table going into 2020 looks very, very different. Uh, if we're looking at it positively, Dom, is there an argument to say that this actually might suit Chelsea quite well or maybe better than Bournemouth or West Ham at home? I, Liam's talked about Mourinho will want to counter-attack, but there will be an emphasis on, on them to be on the front foot because they're at home and Chelsea have generally been much better away than they have at Stamford Bridge. 
Absolutely right. And there's a vulnerability to Tottenham still that's being masked by the fact they're funding, they're now scoring goals again. They are defensively frail. If you look at the results that Mourinho's had, they're not very Mourinho-type type results, are they? Let's be honest. They're, they're, they're a sort of flurry of three twos at the beginning. It's uncharacteristic. So Chelsea will look at it and think, we, we can wound them. However, Tottenham's attacking armoury will really test Chelsea. And the aforementioned Rudiger will have to be top metal to to actually prevail here and, and, and to and to make a mark because they're going to have to find a way of being watertight going uh, going to the, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Everything about it is intriguing. I, I think it's a fascinating game. I think the, the, the dynamics and the touchline in particular are going to be incredible given the relationship between the two head coaches and the momentum swings. Yeah, but I wouldn't rule Chelsea out on this. I really wouldn't. I think they're a team that will summon surprising results out and I know we've we've talked a lot about how they've struggled against the fellow members of the elite but that duck will get broken at some point and you know Spurs away will motivate them. One thing I'm interested to see is how personally some of the young players have taken Mourinho's comments earlier in the season before his high profile transfer from Sky Sports to Tottenham (laughs) Um, but you know the the comments on the opening day about you know Mason Mount's performance and and the fact that Tammy Abraham's starting means this isn't a serious Chelsea season I wonder if those have stuck in those players minds you know that Lampard will probably still be thinking about them and if he's if he's doing a motivational job I'm sure you know it wouldn't take much for him to remind them it clearly bothered Jody didn't it because of his tweet yeah, and you saw Lampard in the post-United press conference. He said that, wow. You know, and just sort of let the silence linger. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see what the likes of Abraham Mount, how they, how they react to that. Because they've, you know, they've, they've proven those words emphatically wrong with what they've done this season. Mount's dipped maybe a little bit, not in terms of his effort level, but just in terms of maybe his baseline production. Abraham's still scoring though, and, and, and he'll be dangerous again, I think. So that, that's one I'm watching. I think we can probably guess seven of the starting 11 that will be Kante Kovacic, Jorginho in midfield, Pulisic, Willie on either side of Abraham and Kepper in goal. Who do you think he'll pick at fullback? Will it, will it be James right back, Azpilicueta left back? That, that will be my instinct. I think, I think, as Liam said earlier, James was a miss against Bournemouth. I think they'll need his energy um, and his delivery. Um, and look, I'll be surprised if Azpilicueta, his most, one of the experienced older heads, if he didn't feature and left back is the obvious... Spurs will target that as an area um, to attack if if Azpilicueta's not there. Look, it's yeah they they will rely upon the older heads. They have to. They have to because this is a this is a properly daunting fixture. I've just got this feeling about it, and 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 you're right. There is a motivation there for those guys because. Actually, if you could argue at the moment, if if Chelsea are going one way with four defeats in five and and are sinking back towards the pack. There will be some doubt there. You know, maybe Mourinho was right. Maybe this is going to be a, a season where Chelsea finished mid-table, despite that wonderful run. Well, now these guys have got an opportunity to actually emphatically say, no, hold on a second, we are a top four club. Mason Mount, I'm an England international. Tammy Abraham, I'm an England international. I'm going to show that I can I can belong in this Premier League and I can hurt another good team, another elite side. I just got this funny feeling about it. I think it will bring the best out of them. 
Let's hope so. It's certainly a fascinating game in prospect. Kicks off at 4.30 UK time this Sunday afternoon. That's the 22nd of December. Uh, Now, elsewhere in Chelsea news, a disappointing end to 2019 for the women's team. They were held to a one-all draw at Liverpool, well, at Tranmere, but against Liverpool. The home side went ahead early on only for Beth England to equalise, but the Blues couldn't find a winner, meaning they dropped to third. Four points behind leaders Arsenal, albeit with a game in hand. The WSL resumes in the first week of January when Chelsea will be able to call on new signings Sam Kerr and Jamie Lee Napier. Uh, The FA Youth Cup campaign kicks off this week as Chelsea men slash boys under 18s play their third round tie against Huddersfield at Kings Meadow. Chelsea nine times winners of the trophy, seven of those coming this decade, but they went out to Manchester United in round three last season. Ed Brand taking charge of that team. If you're in the area, it's only £3 adults and a pound for kids to go or it is being streamed live and I've heard that the commentator is, is pretty good. He's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Finally this week, time to reveal our latest cult hero. We've gone for Eddie Newton. Uh, the reason he gets the nod this week is that he scored both goals in a 2-1 win at White Hart Lane in December 1992 and will be part of the Chelsea backroom team plotting to bring down Spurs this weekend. So Eddie played over 200 games for Chelsea. He won the FA Cup, the League Cup, the Cup Winners' Cup and the Super Cup as a player. After hanging up his boots, he became assistant to Roberto Di Matteo for the Champions League and FA Cup triumphs in 2012. Liam, it's a really, I mean, it's the point of the feature, it's called Cult Hero, but it's a really underrated Chelsea career when you look back at it in those terms. It was, and I think um, I think Newton's playing career was maybe a little bit underrated and, and his ability as a player was a bit underrated because he had so many injury problems that eventually curtailed him really just before that that sort of 97 to 2000 team really took off. But he still did score in the FA Cup final win in, in 97, which is probably the, the crowning legacy of him as a player, although depending on how much fans hate Tottenham, they might <laughs> query that. But um, what he's done since as well, I think a lot of the other former players that are involved at Chelsea... Um, or the ones that Abramovich is most keen to get involved with Chelsea are from the Abramovich era, the the real golden age. But of the ones that came before that, I think Newton has probably had the biggest impact and the most long-lasting impact in a number of roles. Um, And now he's on Lampard's backroom staff. He was looking after the lone players, obviously, backed up Di Matteo as well. So across pretty much every department, he's had a pretty big impact at, at Cobham as well as at Stamford Bridge. It's nice to have that sentimentality, Dom, in having you know him and Andy Myers from the pre-Abramovich era, but also Tori Andre Flo, Paolo Ferreira working in various roles behind the scenes. But Eddie Newton wouldn't have kept his position for this long unless he offered something as well. And Frank Lampard's obviously seen that in promoting him to, to assistant coach. I've always got the impression that he's a bit of a sponge in as much as he'll soak up the information and the strategies and approaches of the people he works with. Um, and he has had the privilege of working with some pretty good Chelsea managers over the years. I was, I was racking my brains in the build-up to this, overriding memories of him as a as a coach or as a member of the backroom staff. And the only thing I could come up with was uh, standing in the mix zone in at the Bayern Arena um, post-final in 2012. And I can't remember whether we had part of the trophy or, or some he had some kind of memorabilia with him as he walked through and let's bear in mind this is about two in the morning um and we'd all be sort of standing around for ages getting rebuffed by ashley cole and <laughs> you know, the, the, the usual stuff that happens in mix zones 
And he just walked through. He didn't want to stop and talk, but he just sort of he walked past us and said, "It's a bit of a doddle, this management thing, isn't it?" And he's spot on. At that point, he'd come from nowhere and <laughs> was suddenly walking off with the Champions League. And for him to be trusted by Di Matteo, he'd worked with the MK Dons, I think, as yeah. well. Um, uh, yeah, he, he obviously offered quite a lot. And then to take on the the loan role at at Chelsea, which is a pretty big role when you think about <laughs> it, how many players they have out, and he's constantly communicating with these guys in the pre WhatsApp days as well. So he's having to probably ring them up and stuff like that old school I think yeah vastly underrated and it's nice to see him being rewarded with a significant role within Lampard's setup now he is a Chelsea stalwart we forget how much he, he played for the club and the, and the role that he played in that in the pre-Abramovich era and he now feels almost like part of the furniture he's clearly a people person as well because I think you have to be at a club like Chelsea there's so many different departments so many different relationships to manage and I think he's done that for a long time in a lot of different jobs so that's testament to him as a person as well as what he's done professionally yeah from what I understand uh, his role at the moment is kind of good cop amongst the coaches in that Frank's obviously the boss and, and Jody Morris and Joe Edwards deal with the technical details of the sessions and, and, and Eddie will be the person taking somebody aside and saying hey I've noticed you're doing this mm. why don't you try doing this kind of thing and, and certainly very popular member of the staff and as we say he'll be on the bench on Sunday at White Hart Lane uh, that's about all we've got time for on today's show Don what are you writing about this week um I, I, i'm gonna get involved in uh, the pre jose Mourinho uh, features i'm sure there's a long list that, that liam is constructing as we speak and i'm definitely getting involved in a bit of that this has got to be one of the the best games you're going to write about all season isn't it certainly in the in the build-up at least there's just narrative all over the place almost too much narrative <laughs> almost there'll be definitely some some big stuff on Mourinho Lampard coming and and I think more general stuff looking at the sort of state of play at Chelsea and after they've gone through a little bit of a rough patch so yeah we'll we'll see what happens it's going to be a very interesting week I think Cool, we'll look forward to that. Next week's show will be a special Best of the Decade edition as we pick our top five signings, trophies and managers from the last 10 years. Do join us for that. Make sure you subscribe to The Athletic to read great articles and get access to all 11 of our brand new podcasts. And just by listening to this show, you can subscribe now with a 40% discount by going to theathletic.com and using the code CHELSEAPOD. In the meantime, my thanks to Liam and to Dom. We'll speak again soon.